Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week, we're going to blow up a bridge. We're going to build it, then we're going to blow it up. Y'all, it's Bridge on the River Kwai. Don't get it mistaken with Bridge over Troubled Waters. We're talking about Bridge on the River Kwai. The waters are actually, they're fairly troubled in the rapid area, but the area that's coming underneath the bridge itself is fairly smooth. Smooth. This movie is from 1957, directed by epic director David Lean, and by epic director, I mean director of epics, and this one is epic, and by epic, I mean long. Before we get into it, how was your week? Uh, My week has actually been, I'm anticipating now, uh, but I think my week has been pretty good. This is this week's episode. Right, so I will, I will have had fun. Um, How was your week? It was good. We went to a play. Mm-hmm. Uh, I canceled a date. Uh, <laughs> you're going out of town mm-hmm. uh, into the snow, and I am concerned. I am hoping that you do not you, become you needn't be. a donor party. I'm actually much more careful than you think, than anyone gives me credit for. But it's not that I don't give you credit for it. It's that every time you come back from a trip, you tell me how you almost died. That's not on me. But that's that's on of, you. Half of the fun. I have seen more... <laughs> With the exception of mountain lions, I have seen all of the wildlife that you have in the state of California. You probably won't see any bears because it's a hibernation times. But there is a um, there is in the notes for where I'm staying a a please lock your disposable belongings and things inside the bear locker. There's a oh bear yeah, fair enough. Locker. Yeah, because you know what else Which, likes to get right. in the things. Raccoons. Yes, but I mean specifically bear proof locker because there are bears there. There's bears all over California. They don't hibernate. Mm, apparently, Go no. Go to sleep, everybody. It's cold outside. Right. We're living in rain right now, and it's glorious. Unless you have to drive in it, and then it's not so glorious. I did into the car. It's glorious from being today. at home with a hot toddy. That would be the. I'm. Uh, ooh, the I can make you a hot toddy, toddy later. I. uh... I'm making chili while you're gone because uh, you don't eat chili because beans. Yeah. And I'm so excited about making chili. You guys, I've never made chili before. I hope I don't mess it up. Mm. If I do, I'm the only one who has to eat it. So, <laughs> All right. You want to talk about this movie? Yes, Bridge I do. Bridge on the River Kwai. It really is a, a great film. I've only seen it once before and seeing it this time, I was paying much more attention to how good a director and how really well-written this film is. It is well-written. I have issues with some characters. It's based on the 1952 novel uh, Bridge Over the River Kwai. Y'all, this shit's confusing. By Pierre Boulle. You may know that name from the uh, last episode. Literally the last episode wherein uh, we talked about the Planet of the Apes. A film that is Extremely different than this one, but was written by the same, or comes from a novel from the same author, which is odd, but interesting. We are in World War II, everyone. We are in the Pacific Theater, and by the Pacific Theater, I mean we are in Siam, which is Thailand. This movie was filmed in Sri Lanka, but we're supposed to be in Thailand. And we're at a Japanese prison camp, and a bunch of Brit- uh, British contingent comes in. Uh, they're going to be laborers at this camp. Right. 
at this camp, we have two people left from the previous contingent. One is an American naval officer, (laughs) and that is William Holden, who plays, what's his name? Commander Shears. Shears. Commander Shears. And he is one of, I think, two people left uh, from the previous groups of laborers all of whom he has buried. We see him when we start digging graves, and we see graves upon graves upon graves lining the railway, lining um, the areas around the camp. And uh, it's a real rough situation right off the bat. The uh, person who runs this camp is named Saito. Saito? Uh He is a Japanese uh, captain, I believe. Colonel. Commander. Excuse me. Camp Commandant, Colonel Saito. Saito. Mm. And we hear right off the bat that there are no guards, there are no fences, there is no uh, sort of jail-like atmosphere to keep them in because they are in the middle of an extremely dense jungle. And there is no way that you're going to run away and, and uh, survive. So go ahead and try, I guess, is basically what he says. Uh, and he says also right off the bat, we are building a bridge uh, because they are working on the railway mm-hmm. from... It's a real railway, the Burma Siam Railway, which was built by Commonwealth Dutch and American POWs, Commonwealth being British, a Japanese product driven by the need for improved communication and support the large Jap- Japanese uh, army in Burma. So they're working on this railway that goes all the way through Thailand. And this is kind of going to link the two parts that they've been working on together. That's the crux of the bridge that we're talking about. And Saito says, uh, we need to have it done by I think it's May 13th mm-hmm. or something like that, and everyone's going to work on it, officers included. Now, this is where we uh, run up against Colonel Nicholson. And Nicholson is a British colonel who's played by Alec Guinness, who I think is very funny in this movie, even though I don't think he's supposed to be funny in this movie. And he is a very fussy British commander who thinks all he has to do is talk to Saito because he's a very he'll, he'll be a reasonable person. Because here's what the Geneva Convention says. Officers don't work in labor camps. They just don't. They can, they can be, they can sort of give direction to the laborers, the the enlisted men, but they do not do manual labor, which, like, for me, (laughs) and you asked me about this um, once they broke and everybody gets excited, I was like, 
Yeah, this feels very much like Republicans voting against their own interests. So, um, so he says to Saito, uh, I've got the Geneva Convention in my pocket, which is wild. And uh, it's very clear that officers don't work. And so we're not going to do that. And Saito's like, mm, okay, okay. And then the next day, as they're getting ready to go out and they're all lined up, he's like, yeah, uh, I've decided that the officers are going to work. <laughs> At which point, all of the men go are taken out to work and the officers, under the direction of Nicholson, stand. And they just are left standing in the sun. They will not work. They refuse to work. So they're just going to sort of boycott. Um, and they're standing in this hot, hot sun. It is, it is, I think, December mm-hmm. in Thailand, but it is some summertime, very clearly summertime. It is hot. Um, as we flash back to these people, uh, these, these officers who have refused to work standing in the sun, at one point, one of them has toppled over. Mm-hmm. They're all clearly dehydrated and weakened. Malnourished. Uh, and finally, Saito is just like, all right, well, we're just going to lock him up. And he puts Nicholson in one little sort of corrugated metal box. And all the rest of the other officers, of which there are like nine or ten. There aren't a huge number, but there are a handful. Or a handful. Rather, yes. Yeah. Uh, into another box that's approximately the same size. And then those, they just stay there. So for days and days, the enlisted men are working um, under, you know, bayonet and bamboo lash at the behest of the Japanese uh, who are leading the, like, there's a Japanese engineer who's designed this bridge and right. there are um, other Japanese officers who are sort of running them. They're sabotaging wherever they can. The British are. The British are. Um and then meanwhile, all of the officers are just locked up. They're right. in solitary. They're probably getting beaten fairly regularly. They're not eating very much. At one point, we see the doctor go in and do a one-on-one with Nicholson, who's like, it's the principle of the mm. thing. And I'm just like... You know, it's very interesting that um, typically, given the year that the film was made... Yes. Uh, 1937 it was released you would have to go through and it was being made for several years mm-hmm. it uh, you'd have to go through a um, generally a British uh, particularly because it was shot overseas a, a representative of the British government who was going to say yes we'll help you in making this film because it promotes the English way of life um, that film was refused this film rather was refused on the grounds that Nicholson is far too stubborn. Yeah, it's... That his men are far too willing to <clears throat> follow him. Well, they, they, it's not like they have much of a choice. They're doing what they're doing. Right. He's been locked in a box. Meanwhile, Shears and somebody else yeah. try to escape. They think they've killed them all. They have killed two of the three people who tried to escape. But Shears falls off a cliff and... Uh, manages to raft himself, like Whitewater raft his body to safety, and he washes up and is taken in by some local villagers and healed. And then they put him in a boat. And it's and this is like sort of, we see these scenes sort of interspersed with 
Nicholson's still in a box. Right. They give him a boat. He runs out of water. He starts drinking out of the river. Don't do that, y'all. That's how you get dysentery. He goes out to sea, and then he does get scooped up by, uh, I believe, um, British, uh, like military hospital setup, and is brought in to heal and he presumes be discharged. So that's sort of happening in parallel. Nicholson stays in the box and he gets brought out, taunted with food. He keeps saying it's the principle, it's the principle, we're not going to work. The officers are not going to work. So fundamentally what this man is doing is making, and Saito is turning, trying to turn, it doesn't work, but he's trying to turn the enlisted men against the officers by basically saying they're making your work harder hmm. because they're not contributing. Right, they're not contributing. Now, the person that's making the work hard is Saito. But he's not entirely wrong about there's more to do for each of you men because we've got these ten people not doing anything. That yeah. is just how math maths. That's just what happens. Um, and after however long, and it's unclear how long, how much time passes, Saito finally folds and says that the British officer, oh, and because he's, he gives them a, in, in honor of a day of amnesty that they're celebrating, uh, I believe it is, what the fuck? I believe it is a Japanese, like, armistice type day. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, at that point, uh, I've now decided that the British officers won't have to do work. And so then all of the enlisted men cheer all of the yeah, officers. Exactly. And I'm just like, it's as what if are they're, you cheering They're so looking, much? they have an expectation that they too can rise through the ranks to become those men, I believe. Which is wild because that's actually not how the British military works. Re- well, I, I <laughs> don't know if it does. I mean... But the fact of the matter is these, again, it's it's Nicholson. Nicholson is the issue with this film, and he becomes one of the more interesting characters we've seen. In yes, because he, I, I don't know, and, and it's interesting, because he is a person, he is a man of principle. He is presented to us right at the beginning as a man of principle. This, the principle of the thing is why I'm not breaking when I should just Right, and other people are suffering as a result. Many people are suffering. Many people are suffering because he has made this decision. And you would think that if he really cared so much for his men, that he he would would make some sort of concession. The the Burma, uh, I guess it was a railroad. Yeah, is an actual historical event for those who don't remember it. It was very savage. The Japanese government had to has uh, made several apologies. Yes, um, there's an interesting piece in the Wikipedia article on this um, that talks specifically about the conditions to which POW and civilian laborers were subjected were far worse than what the film depicts, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see the mass graves, but uh, this is a quote. The notorious uh, Burma Siam Railway, built by the Commonwealth Dutch and American prisoners of war with Japanese project, driven by the need for improving communications to support the large Japanese army in Bur- Burma. During its construction, approximately 13,000 prisoners of war died and were buried along the railway. An estimated 80,000 to 100,000 civilians also died in the course of the product. Mm. 
projects, chiefly forced labor brought from uh, Malaya and the Dutch East Indies or conscripted in Thailand and Burma. Two labor forces, one based in Siam and the other in Burma, worked in opposite ends of the line toward the center. So, yeah, this thing took a lot of lives right. under the direction of the Japanese. So, so I don't really needs to have this finished in time or else he will have to, you know, do away with himself. Yes, so we're talking about the time, and whether that's true or not, we're talking about mm-hmm. the times of uh, seppuku. Right. right? Uh, honor killing of oneself, <laughs> I guess. If you fuck up, then the only honorable thing to do is take yourself out. Um, which he, of course, puts on them. He's like, if I don't come through, do you have any idea what I have to do? Right. And to which Nicholson looks at him in his face and is like, looks like you're going to have to kill yourself. Like, he just... <laughs> well, because the bridge that he wanted to build uh, had a deadline. Yeah. And the deadline is very... They're very far behind. Yes, they're, very, they're extremely far um, behind. And it's Nicholson's insistence, really, that they adhere by the rules of the Geneva Convention. That becomes an important plot point later because... He has a copy of the Geneva Convention on his person. Yeah. That he hands to Colonel Saito. Who, Which is wild. Yes. Like carrying around a copy of the Constitution. But that, that tells you something about that, char- yes, that guy's does. character as well. It does. Um, but then, fundamentally, what has shifted in Nicholson, and I don't know if this is a shift in him, because he's already, we know, a principal mm, person, right. um, or if the box really took a toll on him, because he was in there for probably close to a month. Like, right. He made the entire time that uh, ape shit. Colonel, uh, or rather, Commander Shears is recuperating. That entire time, he's just in that box along yes. with his other men. So once he is relieved or released from mm-hmm. the box, and the officers are back in the position of basically um, leading the men in their work that they're doing, because he does say at the beginning, if they get their directions from us and not the Japanese, they'll feel like soldiers, not slaves. And I'm like, yeah, but they're slaves. Mm. Uh, And you keep insisting that they are the ones that are slaves and you are not. That's the whole thing with the Geneva Convention. That's what it's literally saying is you can use them as slave labor. You can't use us as slave labor. Mm. So it's real sketchy. But Nicholson's got a twist and that twist is okay one the design for this bridge is terrible where you've decided to put it literally it's 40 meters away from where you could actually build it the ground is too soft it's not going to stay up even if they weren't sabotaging which they are are. uh, constantly sabotaging things using the um the actual bridge itself is a diving platform at times yes in the background, you see people jumping off the bridge jumping into the, off of the, the, yeah. dark, so into the water they'll, several times. They'll act like they don't understand mm-hmm. something, and then everybody will let go of what was holding stuff up, and things will topple into right. the water. Like, they are actively, you know, they're also sending people to the sick, um, the hospital tents that maybe don't need to go to the hospital tent. Like, oh, well, you and you have to carry him to the hospital tent take the time you need like it's right. they're really trying to which is, is 
what they're supposed to be doing. That is actually what they have been instructed to do in case of being Absolutely. in a labor camp. Yeah. Do look busy, but spend your time trying to sabotage. And Nicholson gets it. He his point of view is twisted to the point where he wants to a take over the construction of this bridge and do it right because that's how you show what right, the British exactly. are made of. That's showing British metal is by showing them, hey, your bridge is fucked up, but here's how you fix it. So he has an engineer that redesigns the whole thing. And they do end up presenting it to Saito, who is just like, okay. The whole, whole point that he was, Saito was, he's a kind of a desperate person. He is mm-hmm. not a a career military person. Mm-hmm. And Alec Guinness's character is. Mm-hmm. Um... As a matter of fact, he has a speech later on about how over the last few decades of him doing this job, he can count maybe six months or six weeks when he was home. I, I don't remember yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not, it's not healthy. Right. But then the other, in addition to we're going to take over and actually build a good bridge for the enemy, right. which his other officers are like, um, Is this, a good this could be construed as being a traitor. This could be construed as traitorous activity. To which then Guinness, Nicholson, counteracts with, no, 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 no. The other thing that we need to do, though, is get the men in line. We need to shorten the rations on the men as they are, uh, from where they are, and they're already at starvation rations. Mm. We need to tighten up what they're required to do. They need to stop sabotaging. They need to have they need to have pride in the work that they're doing. And once again, the work that they're doing is engineering for the enemy, which means, no, you should not be having right, pride exactly. in your work because this is, once again, traitorous So behavior. Colonel Nicholson is a very interesting character to me because he is very misguided. At first, you want to cheer for him like everybody else, but you realize his approach is problematic just to ignore everything that could possibly happen. Um, and it's unclear to me whether this point of view is warped from the situations that we've seen him in right. or if th- they're warped from the several decades of military service or if it's just a fundamental yes, warping that he, that he has at the beginning. The rules on him, on his person, tells you a lot about that character. Um, as does Saito's just sort of slapping him across the face. Uh, but in doing that, he Saito immediately becomes everyone's enemy at the camp. Except for Guinness, who, when he, well, he actually holds a meeting with engineers and all yeah. to discuss the building of the bridge. Yeah, he's like, we're going to have a meeting with Saito, and Saito is having this meeting with them, where they basically take over. They're just like, look, do it down here. This is how you're going to get it done. Right, move it down the street. It's and too- Saito's watching, and he's like, this actually is right? Like, they're not trying to bamboozle me into making bad engineering decisions. They're literally fixing our engineering mm. decisions. And he is like, you can see it on his face. He's like, what the fuck is, do they not know which side they're on? Right. Or like, but he is so, he's like, no, 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 no. This bridge is going to be the legacy of the British in this part of the world, which right. uh, is problematic in so many, on so many levels anyways. And he starts getting... Like, when they say that the 
the the quality of the of the labor is has raised it so much that this bridge could stand for a hundred years. Right. He's like a hundred years. That would be amazing. This is a thing that the enemy is building, is building to <laughs> carry their troops and food and, and, and weapons. Necessaries yes. For them to fight and kill the British and American soldiers. Yes. <laughs> so you shouldn't. Yeah. And he gets so wrapped up and so enamored of this bridge and so enthralled with uh, doing a good job mm-hmm. and a literal good job, not a good job in context of your British POW, but like a good job. He puts the officers to work. He eventually <laughs> does, which is he's approaching the deadline and the deadline is told is signified to us by a good girl art poster it's so odd for a for a garage in ohio like it's so specific and i'm just like how did that get (laughs) well there's a lot of uh in reading about the making of this film i discovered there it's supposed to be longer there are additional scenes that probably could have explained all of this and explained some of the relationships that look a little um sketchy at times there's times when you watch two people together and you're wondering why on earth do they care about each other Oh, it's because there were things that we weren't privy to. Right. Uh, yeah, so yeah, he thinks that this bridge is going to basically be a tribute to the British Army's ingenuity right. in perpetuity for hundreds of years into the future, and he has lost his goddamn right. mind. Meanwhile, let's go over to Shears. Shears is kicking it on the beach, getting busy with a beautiful blonde nurse right. who was a forced addition into the yeah, series. Yes, so it's a forced addition. Um, at first, I, w- I was listening to the um, uh, a set of documentaries on the making of this film, mm-hmm. and one of the things that they... Uh, one brought up the idea that they brought in the Thai, uh, the Thai women yeah. and those characters because there was not enough female interest in the story. Yeah. That's uh, interesting. And then once that was achieved, uh, the other stories that Harry Cohn, who was the head of Paramount, insisted, yeah, he insisted that there needed to be a white woman for the love interest. Um, But we'll get to why that's even stranger later on in the film. But yes, Harry, and he wasn't even meant to be British. I mean, he wasn't even meant to be American. He was meant to be British. Oh, interesting. But when Holden is like... Right. Well, they needed an American actor to sell to the American market. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, because this is a very international film. Right. And and he was uh, recommended, um, according to some versions of the story, by Catherine Hepburn, who just worked with David Lean. Oh, interesting. Okay. And although Lean was leaning more towards... Is that on the African... Queen? Is that, did he direct no, that? he no. did Summertime. Oh. With uh, Catherine Hepburn as a woman swan, as a woman approaching middle-aged spinster who finds love in um, Rosanna Brazzi while visiting Venice. That's uh, right. But uh, so both of the Hepburns did a finds love in Italy movie. Yes, they did. And they're not related. No. It's so weird that they're not related when nobody named Hepburn has come since the two of them have been around and they were so huge. It's just so odd to me. Anyways, um, yeah, so so he is kicking it in Ceylon 
um, with the Brits, he's trying to, like, he's healing back up and he feels like he's going to get shipped home and he's very excited about being done with this war. Yeah. Um, at which point a dude comes down and is like, hey, what's up? Um, I'm going to need you to come see me tomorrow up in the, in the hills. Come on up. Talk to me. Tell me about your story. Come on up. And he's like, I don't want to. But then he does. Because he doesn't have a choice. And uh, they're like, so your story about what you saw out there and the the where you were and, and what's going on out there is really uh, it's fascinating. Uh, how would you like to go go back well, out and show us this is where Jack they are building? <laughs> Jack Hawkins is a very famous English actor. Yeah. Um, he has a wonderful voice. I've always liked his voice. Jack Hawkins, he's playing Warden. Warden. Yes. Right. So he is handpicking a group of men to go put an end to the bridge. Uh, Nicholson, yes, they're going to destroy rather, this. They want to destroy this bridge that isn't even built yet, but they want to destroy this bridge. Right. So um, William Holden's character, Shears, Hawkins has an important piece of information about him. Yeah, but, but he doesn't know it. And it's, right. So Shears is like, uh... So I lied about being an officer. I'm totally just a grunt, and you, 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 I, you can't. Right. He was trying to get out of working me because the the you say that the American Navy has gone ahead and given me to you, but they don't know that I'm not this person. Right. Uh, they don't have the right to give me to you. The, when your paperwork doesn't have any information that's pertinent to me on it, because I've been lying about who I am. And he assumed that when this he was whole time. captured, he would get better treatment. Yeah, because guess as what? As an officer, however, not, an officer. not counting that he was going to be in Saito's camp, and Saito likes to put everyone to work. No. Until, of course, this right. happens with uh, uh, Nicholson. Colonel Nicholson. Yeah. So then Warden is like, yeah, I know. Uh, that's all taken care of. We're basically going to make you like a British major just to keep it Right. From being like a weird international uh, embarrassment that you lied about who you were. Not only lied about who you were. That you. See, the strength of. I mean, he did all the things he did. Right, he did. He escaped (laughs) and he made friends with the locals, which they're really anxious to get that happening. Um, But he's the only person. Yeah, he knows where they are. He knows where there are villages. The beginnings of it, rather. Yeah. And he knows, like, how to get sort of safely, for the most part. I mean, he ended up full of dysentery, probably, and in that boat. But he was able to get out in a way that a lot of people weren't. Do you need to take a minute? No. Um, So he's basically forced back in. Um, at, and he's going to go back into the interior and he's gonna, they're going to go blow up this bridge. That's the plan. Um, oh, hey, do you know how to parachute? Uh, no? Okay, well, we'll go ahead and set up a, a, a parachute training for you. And then they come to him and say, so actually, statistically, it makes way more sense not to take you parachute right. training because um, the more times you jump out of a plane, the more likely it is you're going to die. So we're just going to go ahead and do one and hope that you make they it. They really need him as the guy. And Jack Nicholson, excuse me, Jack Nicholson. Jesus, <laughs> Colonel Nicholson. Uh, Commander Shears. Oh, no, Commander Shears. Uh, Holden's Shears. character. He's a major now. Right. He gets to be a major all of a sudden. He does not want any part of this. He no. does not believe that he should go back. One of the uh, 
commentaries I read today said that the film is about different kinds of madness. Interesting. Um, and really the person who you would judge almost to be a coward at some point is really just mouthing, which would be um, Commander Shears, was being the most reasonable of all. I There's don't think no he's reason. a coward right. in any way. He, gets, he was a prisoner of war right. in a place where he buried Hundreds or he, thousands of people, and he got out. Not saying that he is a coward, <laughs> but there was that feeling like for a Holden to be playing this character who is not being heroic. And as it turns out, he does do. There's different versions of heroism. Right. To go back on a suicide mission is not necessarily heroic. Right. And it is a suicide mission, y'all. Spoiler alert he does get murdered or dead. <laughs> but yeah, he the, the madness of. Nicholson in building this bridge, which does nothing except well, he he it does bring the men together, so to speak, and he's, sure, but is that really the? <laughs> it seems like here's a man who we learn has been in the military his entire life, right? And like as we said, only a few months here and there that he wasn't on active duty, posted somewhere. This is the only life that he knows, but something tells me that he is not the kind of person who actually engages with the enemy. He's rather the kind of person who's behind the scenes all the time and making sure that things are doing right, well. Right, just so. like every other officer. So, They're not doing right. so in this case, he's, the hard stuff. He, This is the first big project he's gotten to work on, so it's also for his ego. He's not doing this for, uh, for uh, Saito. His ego or the ego of Britain? Right. Which I, is kind of a sickness. Like nationalism is right. kind of a sickness. But, but it's not clear to me whether he means that or believes it or not. I, I he can't, seems I to believe it. He seems now. to believe it because he, he goes through such pains to stick to his guns even when everyone else is being hurt around him. Right, and but then, what I'm saying is I don't know of, if it's about him or mm-hmm. about Britain. He'll say it's about Britain. I really sure. do believe it's about him. <laughs> that feels right to me. Um, the fact that he worked very hard to get the officers not to have to do the manual labor. And then, as you mentioned, as the bridge is drawing close to completion, yeah. and they need to finish it on time, he then goes... He conscripts all the officers right, into labor, gets, yeah. He asks the officers to volunteer, and then he goes into the military hospital um, where his friend, and probably one of his few friends at this point... The doctor. Um, Major Clifton, who's played by James Donald, who anybody who's seen English movies, films, there's a couple of character actors in here that... Are just the the just seen everywhere. quintessential English character actors. They appeared in every kind of film from religious epics to Hammer movies. That they did it, and and um, James Donald is one of those actors. But yeah, at one point he's uh, Nicholson asks uh, asks Major Clifton, the uh, the medical officer, well, how many of these men are malingering? Yeah. And he goes, there's, there's no one malingering. He walks him through the ward and shows the people who are terribly injured. Yes. There's a lot of illnesses that you can catch in the desert, and there's a lot of Jungle, accidents yeah. that could happen. Yeah. And uh, especially building and constructing this bridge. And, yeah. But, and they're around water. Right. So there's dysentery, there's malaria. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, yeah. There's beriberi. Beriberi, which is a, it's a malnourishment disease. There's uh, lots going on um but go on the, the, we we should mention that there's a uh 
Hawkins, Jack Hawkins' character, uh, Major Warden, chooses a group of men to go in. Yeah. And he chooses a group of men, mm-hmm. and basically the ones that matter are Warden, Shears, and what's the kid? Uh, Lieutenant Joyce. Joyce. Who's young and eager, but is they're not sure if he'll be able to kill if killing is required. Right. <laughs> like, straight up, a one-on-one, sticking right. a knife in somebody, killing. And he's honest and says, I don't know. I know the moves. I know what I'm supposed to do. But I don't know if I'd be able to bring myself to do it. Mm. And we find out later, he does. He can. Um, So uh, they parachute in. One of that team does get got in the parachuting. Mm. Warden gets wounded. So they are sort of dragging Warden through mm. towards the bridge. They know that the bridge is supposed to be um, unveiled with a train full of like uh, diplomats and uh, important people in the Japanese military. And so he wants to do a big explode when the train is actually crossing the bridge. Like, it's not enough to just take out the bridge and make sure that they don't meet their deadline. Mm -hmm. He wants to also take out the train that's supposed to be crossing for the first time, which is a little, I think, over-ambitious. Like, it's not... I understand you want to take out as much of the uh, enemy brass as you can. Sure. Blow the bridge up and you're fine. You don't need to, anyways. In this respect, it reminds me of the Dirty Dozen with going to yeah. the so vacation yes. spot and, and shooting all the officers. And then we see in the camp. This mm-hmm. is when Nicholson is putting the the enlisted or the officers to work. And right. They're pushing to get, and it's a time crunch, heisty, you yeah. know, push to this um, meeting point between the two groups. Uh, one of neither of whom, well, one of whom knows about the other, but doesn't know how uh, fanatical yeah. <laughs> the other has become. And they get there, they ride the river down, basically, and they do set up all of the explosives. They're using plastic explosives, which is a new thing. It's funny. Warden tosses Shears some plastic mm. explosives and it like freaks him out because he doesn't know that without the detonator right. it's it's fine. He's used to the yeah. uh, nitro and things like that right. that are very TNT unstable. Shit right. that you have to like be careful with because it could explode um, and I'm not of the opinion that plastic explosives is 100% safe when there's no detonation stuff near it. I don't know. Uh, I still will treat that shit carefully. So they they set all of their charges um, and they're going to blow it when the train comes. And the bridge is done. They got it done. He's Nicholson is so weirdly proud of it. And I'm like, you're a traitor he sets up a to your country. Yes, exactly. he sets up a plaque that's basically like brought to you by the British government, <laughs> the British military, which is like, Dude, you have lost the plot. Do you understand that you are in a war against these people? Like, what are you doing? No, he doesn't understand that, everybody. He doesn't. He's completely off of whatever rocker he had. And he sees the... I think he sees 
like the rope, like the detonation right. um, things, and he starts following it back, and and Shears and Warden are watching him like, what the fuck is he right. doing? He's also he's he because he's, he's like, on the bridge itself. Save this bridge, and he notices something's odd, and because he finds scraps of things on the bridge itself. Yeah, and so he and um. He's like pulling Saito along with yeah, him. Yeah, like, Saito along with him because he is so certain that they'd both be proud of this achievement. And that's when he finds the line true. that connects it to the detonator. Yeah, and he's follow, he's following mm. up the line and they're like, what is he doing? Like, right, exactly. At this point, Nicholson should have understood what has happened and should just let it happen because this is a British... Right. Fundamentally, we don't want this bridge... Right, to succeed, exactly. we as British officers and British enlisted men don't want the Japanese to be successful. We don't want them to get period. arms and munitions and God knows what else over yeah. to. And a, he drags, know, he like he goes all the way across the thing, and Joyce ends up attacking Saito and is able to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, Nicholson sees Shears and they're like, you, you. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. But then that's when, when, when he sees Shears uh-huh. and I think he sees maybe Warden, he doesn't know who that is though, but he sees him, he's in a British uniform. uniform. And he sees Shears get shot by the Japanese army as he's mm-hmm. coming up to try and stop Nicholson from stopping the detonation. And the the plunger, like like an old timey plunger, right. is right there, and the and you can hear the train whistle coming, and Nicholson kind of looks around and he's like, "What have I done?" At which point Shears shoots him, Shears or Warden or maybe both shoot him, and he falls down on the plunger, which blows the bridge up with the train on it, like it it ends the the way that Warden yeah wanted it to end it is unclear to you though and to me the viewer and this is what i asked you when we sat down whether he fell on the plunger on purpose or whether he was trying to miss it i I don't know there's some debate about that you do see right before he falls down his eyes kind of roll back because he's dying right and then he falls in the plunger and and it's but it's not graceful he doesn't like he happens to land on the plunger it feels more like so it doesn't necessarily feel like but he could have just pushed his body because we see him earlier Uh um after he's gotten out of this iron box walking up into saito's um sort of barracks right and he's stiff-legged he's almost like a baby you said he he took the walk from um someone who had polio his son his son um, who had polio in this, and when you're walking, watching him walk across this camp, mm-hmm. you're waiting for him to fall over. Right. And like, you're was, like, there's no way he's going to That was a it. really good piece of it's physical acting. It's a great piece of physical acting. Yeah. So then at this end here, you're like, did he do it on purpose? Because he had impeccable control over his physical self all the way up until presumably yeah. he died. He wasn't quite dead yet. Did he do the plunger because he finally realized, oh, shit. Well, he does say, what have I done? Yeah. And he understands that he's 
just made a horrible he mistake. He did not fuck up, yeah. Um, and then he falls on it, and the bridge blows, and then that's the end of the movie. Da, 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 and then right. we get some some sort of jaunty ending, but it, like, it ends right there. Well, I love the uh, James Donald, his character, the medical officer. Yeah. His last words in the film is that he looks over and sees everyone dead, all the people that we've come to care about in this film. Um, with the exception of Jack Hawkins, who was injured and couldn't go further, and he was trying to provide a distraction by, you know, opening fire on the people who were attempting to kill Shears and um, Shears. Yeah, and, Shears ends up getting and shot Joyce. and killed, mm-hmm. which sucks. That was just, I was just right. like, oh. He came all the way back here just to get shot. Just to get killed. At least the bridge went down, so it wasn't for nothing, right? right? Like, but the the fanaticism of this man they, they didn't. It's Nicholson's fault. Everybody who dies there at the end—that's all Nicholson's right. fault. Right. Because if he had just seen the thing, had it click in his tiny baby brain, oh shit! There's a. Well, that's again. This is the reason why um, they did not have the support of the British government. In making this film. Right. Uh, because they felt that it gave a very negative... Um, well, on top of, as you pointed out, not going into depth about Japanese atrocities, which actually did happen. Yes, and were worse than what we see in the film, which is a whole... Yeah. We also... It does put the English character in this light that was very unflattering. It's been very interesting uh, researching this film and watching it again. Uh, now, understanding things I didn't when I first saw it, and I was like in my 20s, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's so much in this film about a person who essentially has some kind of bond with his captor to the extent to where he yeah. then becomes... And there wasn't such a thing at this point. As Stockholm Syndrome? As Stockholm Syndrome, But this would certainly be a candidate for it. Maybe. Although, again, his motivation is... is, is It's not yay Japan. Like, it's not I'm here for Saito. Right, he doesn't become converted to the Japanese cause, but he's so fiercely nationalistic that he wants to show him up, is what he does. Yes, which is... like, It's like he divorces outcome from context mm. entirely and only wants to focus on outcome. Right. But context is vitally important, especially in something like the in, in, in a yes. wartime situation, right? You don't want to be your best if you're being conscripted into labor for the And the other uh, men seem to understand that. They keep sabotaging the bridges as it goes up. Yes. Um, and they don't seem to inform him and what they, they all are aware of, which is the fact that the bottom of the river is too soft to too allow soft them to, to sink. Allow them. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. These uh, support yeah. columns. Yeah, they're like, we could keep digging for, you know, forever. You're never, like, if they had just let the the, the Japanese build where they were originally mm-hmm. building. First of all, I find it difficult to believe that Japanese engineers would make a dis- uh uh, a mistake quite so large, right? Um, Especially when they built the rest like of the railway. I feel like if it kept not working, uh-huh. you bring in a second opinion. Now, maybe it's possible they couldn't get a second opinion because of where they were. Maybe Saito was working with not the brightest of the bunch for the Japanese. I don't know, but like, it's not like the Japanese don't have a history of strong engineering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just, and that might be stereotypical, but Japanese military, not, well, they don't, not populated the by whole dummies. plan was <laughs> to get slave labor to build the actual plans that were put into place. Um, but a Japanese engineer came up with the plane. Right, came up with the plane <laughs> so, the bridge. I, um, I mean, from the very beginning, this the film was written by Pierre Bull, I guess, right? Yeah. Who also well, wrote the book was written Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Or the, well, the script was. I'll explain that in a minute. My slip. He was credited and got the Academy Award, I believe, for writing the screenplay. Let me. He did not write it. No. Okay. Let me let me go over the Academy Awards. Uh-huh. It won Best Picture. It won Best Director for David Lean. It was won Best Actor for uh, Alec Guinness. Uh, Sasuo Hayakawa was nominated for Best Supporting Actor but didn't win. It's the only thing that was nominated and didn't win mm. for the Academy Awards. Uh, it was it did win Best Screenplay based on material from another medium for Michael Wilson, Carl Foreman, and Pierre Bull, which I think was at that time they would maybe include the yes. author of the original material because this is a Best Adapted Screenplay, right. right? That's what they call it now. Um but that one, and then cinematography, editing, and score. The, the, it won all of those Academy Awards. It like in the credits for the original release of the film, there was no acknowledging Michael Wilson, who, by the way, also rewrote Planet of the Apes, as we learned. Same guy. Oh, interesting. Um, Is he a a translator? Uh, no. Okay. As far as I understand, he's a screenwriter who was just very much in demand. However, it was also written by Carl Foreman. Carl, excuse me, Carl Foreman, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Who was blacklisted at the time. And so they couldn't actually bring his name out, despite the fact that, um, as the film demonstrates, there's all kinds of different fanaticism and madness. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Michael Wilson, who did Planet of the Apes, based on Pierre Bull novel, is doing this one previously that was based on a Pierre Bull novel. And maybe they just thought he was the go-to guy for, for doing yeah, this person's I'm, I'm work. curious. I want to know who the translator of the novel was. Mm. Because they weren't going to the original French. Well, the, the novel apparently follows the book, fair, or the, rather the film follows the book very well. But I know. I want to know what version. The, I uh, want to I know think... the translator for the version of the novel that they were using. That's what I want to know, because I think that's a pretty key person in this, mm-hmm. you know, workflow. <laughs> it might have been Foreman. He might have actually, because he presented a script that he couldn't put under his own name, and it was shopped around for a while. No, well, no. I'm saying that... Uh, he could no, have translated it, is what I'm saying. You think so? Uh, you don't have. think that they used an English version of this novel? They might not have, no. That's weird. That seems bonkers to me. Because normally... Mm-hmm. Um, especially, and this is a British film, which once again, AFI, what's going on? And the reason I know it's a British film is because for the British Academy Film Awards that year, it won both best, best film and best British film. So it's qualified as a British film. Um, but it appears on four AFI lists. (laughs) Um, it's, it's, uh, the hundred years, hundred movies original is number 13. Mm -hmm. This one, number 58, that's where we are. Uh, 100 Years, 100 Cheers, number 14, 
and the 10th anniversary edition of the AFI 100 Years, 100 Movies that was done in 2007, it dropped down to 36. Um, and the British Film Institute has placed it as the 11th greatest British film. But it's So what did you feel about the film as a whole? I thought it was very good. I think, full disclosure, I did fall asleep in uh, at the towards the end after... After the after Shears had been conscripted into his little thing and was going towards the bridge and they were finishing up the building of the bridge during that piece, I was falling asleep. And I think it was like a 40-minute period of time. I feel like this movie could be shorter. The film was much longer originally. And um, David Lean apparently was very good with editing a project once it was done. He really saw it as two completely separate phases of work. Oh, that's right. And um, he, he, as a matter of fact, stayed after the entire crew had left to do odd pickup shots of birds and jungle. There was a lot yeah. of B-roll in this movie as we're watching it, which I think right. is good because I think you want a sense of where they are because right. it is a very foreign eh, landscape. Um, but it's 161 minutes, Sim- Sim- and I feel like it could be 126 Sim- minutes. Sidney Lumet, in his uh, review of the film, said that you can't make a movie like this anymore because the pacing would be so difficult for some people to follow. His modern audiences, and he, yeah, there's he not a, there's, the, It like, doesn't do the every 10 minutes thing. Right, no. <laughs> it starts, it's a very much a narrative. It starts with these separate sets of characters, and then they all converge at the end. There's also a very interesting, um, in the same uh, interview I saw with Lumet, there's another point where they speak to Steven Spielberg, who says that every time before he makes a movie, with the exception of Schindler's List, any time before he made a movie, he would sit and rewatch this film. Interesting. Because there are so many details that you can learn from watching how he tells his story. It's at a more leisurely pace maybe than the most of our listeners are are used to. But at the same time, it tells the story completely and you get a real sense of these characters and a sense of loss when they pass on. Yeah, you do because you do spend so much time with them. But I think that this movie could be mm-hmm. probably so other than the length, shorter. What did you what <laughs> oh, was Oh it's very good. Right. And what I appreciated I think most mm-hmm was as your you the audience are like hey Alec Guinness I think you've lost the fucking thread here the people in the movie around him are like hey Alec Guinness right. <laughs> I think you've lost the fucking thread here which I think is important because he goes so far to the left of where he should be yeah and to have the other officers around him even if they're under him technically they're still officers yeah say um you're really towing the line of traitor here and they say it yes they, they do. don't they don't they don't keep pushing and he, and largely because his justifications are so roundabout that you're like oh yeah i guess that makes sense and then you come back to wait a minute there's context and there's objective and right. you have you you need them together and you've put context on a shelf in a closet in a room 
three continents away, and we're just looking at uh, I, I actions and objectives uh, without any broader context. And so, yeah, sure, things make sense. But then if you zoom out literally two feet, you're like, oh, no, this doesn't oh, no, make any he, sense he at all. He develops his own myopia about building yeah. this bridge and what it'll mean to him and to his men. Um, I think Colonel Saito. Yes. He has a a really interesting scene where he's preparing all of his things to commit suicide. He's written his death poem. Yeah. And he's unsheathing his tanto, and he's fully prepared to kill himself because the bridge is not going to be completed on time. And of course it is, which is why he's... He kind of... He has a new respect for Commander, or rather for Colonel Nicholson, but it's only in that he served the Japanese cause in this particular case very well. Yeah. It's a a weird dynamic, but it's a very interesting dynamic. And the voice of reason being William Holden, who in the end is very heroic when he goes out to destroy the bridge. And also Jack Hawkins, his character, um, Major Warden, he is uh, a professor outside in general life. The only real career military person in this film is Nicholson. And he's the one who winds up falling very easily into the trap of, well, I'm going to show them up and I will show what a wonderful job we did, even if it means that the country that he served his entire life is going to lose thousands of people as a result. So is that, uh, it's definitely thrilling. Right. Especially that last piece where you're like, Alekin is acting an ass, pulling up the fucking um, buried leads to the explosives. Right. And you hear that train coming, and you're just like, oh, God, what's going to happen? Like, yeah, it's all was, happening now. That was interesting. Also, they had an actual bridge that they had to blow to smithereens. And an actual train that dumps into the water that was loaned to them by the Sri Lankan government. Because it was photographed in Sri Lanka uh, rather than in Thailand. Yeah. Um, there is a... Uh, there's just so much fascinating about the film in terms of the way the film was made, I was... I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't I, believe that the budget for this film is $2.8 million. It was a great deal of money back then. That, is it? Because right. it seems like not nearly enough to have made this no, movie. No, it, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, the, but yeah, overall, just the kind of adventure filmmaking, where the filmmaker is the director in this case. This is a tradition that Steven Spielberg has copied where you know, you're putting yourself in the thick of it and you're in as much peril... Um, as some of the characters in the film. Not entirely, because they weren't in a camp. Uh, however, the actor described, and the cinematographer and all described, just really horrible working conditions where people were often sick, and often exhausted, and often out in the sun. There's a scene where uh, one of the... Uh, for some reason, uh, Lean became... And I guess when you see them in person, they they must be very impressive. The fruit bats, and mm. uh, fruit bats come, you know. There's a some, oh the big ones, the big ones right. that look like puppies, and yeah. they're startled and they all fly off. And the cinematographer mentioned that they uh, they originally shot off uh, a number of like rifles in the air to try to get them to scatter while they were asleep because the noise would certainly st- uh, frighten them. And the end result was that there were so many more bats than he originally thought. 
that they mm. literally crowded out of the sky, some of which is still there. But says what you don't see is the fact that it suddenly began raining on them. Because the bats themselves, one of their defensive uh, tools What's is it? to urinate. Rano? Oh, urine. Oh, even better. So he said... Their urine is probably super acidic, too. Very uh, acidic. Very. <sighs> it's. It was very unhealthy. And they're standing there with these cameras, basically, while there is a rain of foul-smelling Gross. bat <laughs> urine from thousands of bats. And it just won't stop because they keep circling around. Nature! Right. <laughs> And yeah. so, yeah, when you hear stories like that, you're thinking, you know, uh, David Lean also, I believe he, he injured himself on the river shooting those scenes. Good grief. And that scene has a genuine sense of being harrowing as well, where uh, Joyce and uh, and um, Shears are going to plant the explosives. Yeah. And they're on this, clinging on to this. Yeah, they're um, in the they're in right. the water. like, it, And they're kind of... At the mercy of this river. Right. Yeah. There's things in here where you wonder, how on earth did they do this? Uh, which is not something I, I ever say anymore because now I know how they do it. But, yeah, th- there's there's just really amazing moments in this film that I, I yeah, I think is absolutely thrilling. Yeah, it's really good. Really, really good. Uh, it We recorded it off of TCM. Right, we did. It's probably on TCM like once a month. Yeah. She's popular. She's a popular well, film. So, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> Won a Best Picture, so, you know, it's it's a ubiquitous um, thing. William uh, Holden, who, you know, when he eventually got cast for the film, he uh, he took the large the largest salary at the time that was given for a particular British film and also took 10% of the gross because he saw the potential of the project. And that essentially set him up for life. You know, he never had to work again, although he did. Right. Um, interestingly enough, Sesu Hayakawa, yeah. who had been very big in silent movies, including He working... was so handsome when he was younger. I looked him up on IMDb. Oh, yeah, he was so a, beautiful. He was a matinee idol. Um, and he was in his... And he was an American... He was right. an Asian-American actor. He's of Japanese descent, but he was not... From yeah, Japan. He um he was in his seventies when he did this film. His late seventies. Did he come back after being away for Yeah, he stopped making films for quite a while because he does have a very pronounced accent. Um and then they got him for this film. Uh but yeah, apparently William Holden was the guy to work with. He was as much fun on the set as he appears to be in his movies. Yeah. Uh I was saying when we were watching this that he looked like Robert Mitchum, but like nice. Right. And then we looked up, I was like, have they ever been in a movie together? And then they have been, and I'm not going to watch the movie because it does involve um, uh, purchasing a woman. <laughs> well, there's, I think Alec Guinness, too, for a generation of people who only remembered him from Star Wars, he was an amazing actor, and he brings out so much in this part as well. Everyone here is good. James Donald is, you know, as the medical officer, he gets those final lines. They told you how it reminded me of Heart of Darkness. In that his final overview of this kind of scene of carnage is madness. Because so many people died on this ridiculous goal to build the bridge and then just to very promptly blow it up. It's... Yeah, it's really interesting, but it is, yeah, you're just listening to reasoning that, like, in a vacuum, sure, mm-hmm. 
But we don't live in a vacuum, everybody. We live in context. Uh, I like goodness, not a connoisseur of context. All right. That, I think, brings us to the end of our conversation about Bridge on the River Kwai. Next week, we're going to talk briefly um, and then sort of re-air an, an older episode about all the president's men, which is a movie that has too much in common with that's happening now. Which we thought three or four years ago when we talked about it the first time. So it's like a it's like a nesting doll. Right. <laughs> and then after that, we're going to come back and talk about 1931's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. It's the name of the doctor, not the monster. Until we do that. Do you have anything you would like to recommend to our lovely listeners? I... I haven't seen much lately. Oh no! Since our last so recording sad. period, yeah. I know that last time we were, we recommended Wednesday. I am watching 1899. Oh uh, yes, on Netflix. Sad. I'm enjoying it so far, but I think I'll save my recommendation to see if it goes someplace. Unfortunately, yeah. sometimes things don't go anywhere. Right, there are, <laughs> are programs that have really promising beginnings, and then they sort of lose the thread, so to speak. Or just let go of the thread entirely, and they're like, what thread? We didn't have a thread at all. I'm speaking about a show that you watched on Netflix for us, apparently, and then you said, oh, it doesn't end, and it's not going to end. It doesn't have an end. And I was like, ooh, I'm glad I didn't spend nine hours of my life watching it. It's a mystery with no actual solution at the end of that film. That's not, I don't like it. So it just leaves it mysterious, and sometimes mm-hmm. that can work, but in a much shorter context. If you're yeah, watching, not for nine hours. Picnic at Hanging Rock, where they never quite solve what happens to these girls. That's fine, but when you're watching, you know, you committed yourself, and you're following these people's lives. It just doesn't make any sense not to give some sort of solution to the film. Yeah, yeah, especially if it's like not a supernatural thing, right? Like, somebody is fucking with this family. Mm-hmm. People are going to get to And if about. you're... If you've dramatized it, mm-hmm. and nobody knows what happened in the quote-unquote real case, then don't dramatize it or make a, a, a 17th character that doesn't actually exist and make that the person that did it so that you're not def- defaming right. anybody. If what you want to do, or, I think. if you're making it up whole cloth and you just didn't figure out who done it, then this, you're not finished with your work. Right. <laughs> that's, that's your job as the writer of a mystery is to know who done mm. it and then to tell us who did, who did done it. Yeah, I, that, that is infuriating to me. So I'm not watching The well, Watcher on Netflix, uh, is what we're talking right. about. But, uh, I don't really have anything to talk about either, you guys, because I, um... We've both been very busy. I've been weirdly busy. Yeah. Largely hiding in my room away from where it's cold, which is every, everywhere. The weather's taking a turn here. It's, uh, it will be... it's like 40 degrees outside right. and I hate it. I mean, I love it because it's also raining. And we need the rain. We need the rain. We need the rain. But I did have to... I I, I panicked on the road the other day, and, got, and we were an hour late to work because I couldn't be on the freeway because it was 
not a freeway anymore. It was a river. Right. And I uh, won't do that. So be careful on the drives out there. That's what I recommend. Please drive safely. carefully. Drive safely. If your windshield wipers are on, your lights need to be on. That's just from me to you. It is common sense. It's also the law. It's also not followed by anyone. So if you have to turn your windshield wipers on because the water is falling from the sky, turn your lights on. Mm. Okay, thanks. All right. (laughs) So I think that does it for us today. Next week, All the President's Men, followed then by Frankenstein. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, if you have questions or comments or concerns and you want to wish us a happy holidays, yes, uh, like you can it. email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod or you can find us on Facebook by searching for Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. I would like to take this moment to remind you to please take your medicine. And we would like to remind you that, that late, late than never. never.